Steph can still play. I'm sure he would love to have that deep ball again. He'd be the first to tell you. He's super competitive. He's going to work his tail off this offseason. And I know there's various reasons or questions on this. There's production, all that. But I still see Steph as a number one receiver. Bill Jim, Brandon Bean from their end-of-season press conference. Jeremy and Joe, good morning. Jim Harbaugh hired by the Chargers, leaving only openings in Carolina. Atlanta and Seattle. Those are the three. Washington, too. Washington, too. But, sorry. but everyone thinks that's going to be Ben Johnson. And Dan Quinn's got a second interview in Seattle. Looks like that's that's always been like, oh, yeah, Dan Quinn's going to get that job. So. so Dan Quinn gets that job, and Ben Johnson gets the Washington job. That leaves just Atlanta and Carolina, right? Yeah. And Atlanta has And Belichick and Vrabel are staring at each other like, uh, one of us not coaching this Belichick year? Belichick and Vrabel and 12 other candidates. For Atlanta. The, yeah. 14 yeah. interviews for Atlanta. Anyway, we'll get some uh, some football stuff with Chris Trapasso here of CBS Sports. He joins us on the Western Hotline. Chris, good morning. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me again. What do you make of the, the coaching carousel right now? Harbaugh, the thoughts on the Harbaugh hire, and what should Atlanta do? Is it a slam dunk for Belichick? The Harbaugh one is weird because he's obviously a proven winner at like every level, college, the NFL. I don't know, though, if I love Justin Herbert and uh, his skill set in a – ground and pound like I formation six offensive linemen on the field on every play type of offense but it is hard to kind of argue with the fact that Harbaugh like again one at San Diego one at Stanford one with the 49ers obviously one at Michigan so from that perspective uh the the proven nature of him as a head coach has got to be a pretty welcomed addition to the Chargers. As far as what you guys were just mentioning, that if it's just Vrabel and Belichick and it's the Carolina job and the Atlanta job, I wouldn't be surprised if Vrabel takes a year off and kind of picks a better situation like Sean Payton did. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I mean, I think Belichick could even consider doing that as well, depending on yeah, what, what, what Atlanta wants to do. Chris, yeah. let, let's take a minute on the game, on the Bills' makeup, sure. on, on what happened on Friday, Friday, Sunday, sorry, what happened on Sunday between the Bills and the Chiefs? As you look back at it, you know, are you fading on Sean McDermott and his and his track record against Mahomes in the playoffs, or is it just the Bills keep losing coin tosses and nobody likes to hear it? But that's really what's happening. Yeah, that's a good way to frame that question. Um, I I certainly think anyone can look at the defensive performances that Sean that Sean McDermott's defenses have had even against the Bengals and three games against the Chiefs, and it's not been good. Like, if you just got even, like, an average Bills defensive performance from this season in that game, and I get it, Mahomes is not an average quarterback, but if you would have gotten how the Bills were playing defense down the stretch against the Cowboys, against the Chiefs in Arrowhead, the Bills win that game. So from that perspective, I think McDermott needs to be better in those big game situations in the playoffs. Now, I do think you have to look at the caveat that they were at one point playing Tyler Matikiewicz at linebacker and were down their top two corners, which is not ideal if you're in the game against Patrick Mahomes. Um, and then at this, so I'm kind of in the middle. I think also, you know, missing a field goal when anyone would have said, all right, 44 yard field goal, tie the game, not ideal, but we're basically in a zero zero game with two minutes to go. Then they would have probably signed up for that. So I think uh, the bills are not going to change head coaches. And I don't, could another head coach come in here and win like Sean McDermott? Probably. I mean, almost likely, like very likely. But I think the fact that he's here, the culture, he has his guys. If you get a new head coach, they would 
you know, be looking for those new players and maybe release or trade some guys that maybe wouldn't be worth that. So I think it would just be an unnecessary um, transaction to make, a, obviously a rather big one, to move on from Sean McDermott um, and try to find a new head coach. But the pieces are there. I, I'm kind of in the middle. I think he's yeah. got to be better on defense, but a lot of coin flips too. You know, one thing about this this team, he's talking about explosive plays. And mm-hmm. I was I was writing down in my notes for a topic for the offseason, like what's the million-dollar question for this offseason for the Bills? And I think the million-dollar question is what kind of offense does Joe Brady want versus the offense mm-hmm. that he was running for that was Ken Dorsey's offense. So, Chris, in your experience, you know, charting Brady and charting what this Bills offense maybe wants to become, and as you're doing mock drafts, your mock draft had them taking Xavier Worthy. So mm-hmm. th- this is a look where it's a speedster. Uh, piece it all together for us, what the Bills can do in this draft at receiver and how that kind of fits into what Joe Brady might want to be doing. Yeah, I think I mean we can hear what Sean McDermott said during his his exit interview or his end of season press conference. Brandon Bean and say, okay, yeah, the Bills want to be more explosive. Every team does, but from your question, I, I'm just looking at what Joe Brady did at LSU, and he did it certainly more with the Bills as he took over this season. A lot more spread offense, a lot more uh, you know three and four and even five wide receivers at times. That's what he did at LSU. He had Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. They had a good tight end, Thaddeus Moss. They had um, Terrace Marshall, who went in the second round. So I think he can say and kind of bang the table during the draft, like, I need one or maybe two wide receivers. I know that's music to your ears, Jeremy, and, and I'm kind of in that same boat too. So I think you will see – the front office and the specific coordinator say, look, we need more weapons at receiver. Cause I think in that chiefs game, it was obvious that the bills, why they didn't win that game. They couldn't hit those explosive plays. And I think why the offense was so quick game based and run heavy was because I think they realized like Diggs isn't really playing up to par. And after Khalil Shakir, in terms of down the field threats, there really wasn't anyone that they could rely upon to have Josh Allen chucked you know, 10 deep balls down the field. Right, and even Shakir, Chris, like, I think his future... He's not a no. Yeah, no, like, in terms of, like, just winning down the field, like, I, the last time a Bills receiver was just behind a defensive back, you know, for, for a ball, like, wide open, you know, like, digs on Sunday, like, you can see it to where it's a contested ball and it should be caught. But mm-hmm. the Dolphins and other teams with these speed receivers, you a lot of times will just see them behind the defense and when I see you having them with Xavier Worthy, like isn't that's the specific type of receiver I think we're going to be spending the offseason talking about, right? Yeah, totally. And I always go back to the 2020 Bills. To me, I mean, the defense wasn't amazing, but that was the best offense that the Bills have had since the 90s. And we've always or we've started to hear general managers talk about that you want an offense that kind of resembles a basketball team, different sizes, different skill sets, a point guard, a, you know, the, the bigger power forwards. That 2020 team, Gabe Davis was the four. He was the down-the-field wide receiver, uh, sideline, back shoulder. He was the fourth option. Cole Beasley underneath was just a nightmare for defenses, for linebackers, for slot corners. You had Diggs, obviously, can do everything. And then you also had John Brown, who even at the end of his prime there, as he was getting closer to 30 and then got to 30, was still someone that ran in the four threes at the combine and threatened teams down the field. I think, again, that's kind of the theme here. That's what the Bills were missing. They were hoping they were going to get it with Hardy and Sherfield. 
I think they should have used Hardy a little bit more. They kind of went away from him as the, the season progressed, so maybe there was something there in practice or whatever the case may be. But you're absolutely right that this offense, to accentuate Diggs and accentuate Khalil Shakir underneath and Dalton Kincaid being that kind of chain-moving tight end that, that proved to be very good as a rookie, you need the ability for someone besides Diggs to grab attention from some of those deep safeties. You know, as you lay it out like a basketball team, this receiver class coming in, there's a lot of talk about, oh, it's just a great class. How is it in terms of the diversity of types of receivers? You know, your fours, your threes, your your whatever. They might have to replace Gabe Davis and then get another receiver, of course, that they want to be a different role than Davis. Maybe that's the John Brown or whatever. As you, as you look at Worthy as your field stretcher or, you know, whoever it might be, how deep is the class in the diversity of skill set? Um, it, it's pretty deep. I think, actually, if you're looking at this class from afar and you're zeroing in on the first couple rounds, it it's, uh, leans a little bit toward it's deeper at the bigger kind of power forward types. You have Marvin Harrison Jr. obviously at the top. The Bills are not going to be able to get him. Rome Adunze from Washington, someone that we certainly watch a lot. He'll probably be off the board in the top half of the first round. But then you have Brian Thomas from LSU, um, who was very good. He's 6'2", 6'3", over 200 pounds, athletic. Um, Devontae Walker, who Drake May threw to at North Carolina, another big body. Then there's Keon Coleman from Florida State, awesome catch radius. A.D. Mitchell from Texas. These are all 6'2 and up wide receivers. So I, I think there are some speedsters. Jalen Polk from uh, Washington, Jermaine Burton from Alabama, I think is going to run a really fast time. And then obviously Xavier Worthy from Texas, you do have some speedsters, but I think in the, from like pick one to pick 50 or 60, um, there's more big body wide receivers that have those, which those can be downfield threats too because of their catch radius, but that's a little bit more of the, the theme of the top of this wide receiver class, do bigger body. Do you feel like the best plan of attack for the Bills would be to, to, if you want a bigger body guy, make that a later pick and earlier on you're going for your more vertical John Brown style? Uh it's a little early Depends. to say that because, yeah, it, it's a little early. Like, if Xavier Worthy runs as fast as I think he will and he's running, like, low four threes and has, like, a 35 or higher vertical and shows that explosiveness that he, that he was – that was very easy to see on film, then I think you're going to be talking about him as someone that they would have to pick in the first round. And because of what I just mentioned and, and I think what you're alluding to – Yes, there is more depth at the bigger body wide receivers. Now, we can get into the specifics and say, hey, they need more uh, speed. They need another vertical element. Just hitting on a quality wide receiver that is going to be used in the slot, outside, in motion, down the field, underneath, that matters more to me than just drafting like a Marquise Goodwin type player. Yeah. I want to ask you also about size, too, because Mm -hmm. I know I I had somebody yesterday talking about, you know, the bigger guys or 50-50 ball guys, and over time – last maybe 10 years, size of receiver in the draft has dipped, has gone, has gone down a lot. And that's not just height, but that's weight. Like, you have Worthy. Yeah. Worthy's listed at maybe 170. And I'm remembering Tank Dell was, what, 155 or something, mm-hmm. like 160. Flowers were small, too. Yeah, like, yeah. so we've got small receivers that, whatever, if you're looking at old-school scouts, or I'm not trying to make them old-school scouts, just like the idea that, oh, these guys are too small. It seems like the NFL is finding more and more space for the smaller receiver. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, and there's a few others. Uh, Jamari Thrash from Louisville is someone who's really fun to watch. Anaya Smith from Texas A&M. They're all going to be well under six foot, 
And like you're mentioning, between like 165 and 180, maybe 190. So traditionally, and, and when I say traditionally, I mean even five to ten years ago, that is slot only, way too small, can't play. But even guys like Deontay Johnson, um, there's smaller wide receivers that have proven that separation is king. We know that. And it kind of harkens back to me to the Bills linebacker conversation. And it's kind of a, a roundabout way of saying we were so concerned. Who's a middle linebacker? Who's an outside linebacker? You watch a Bills game. Terrell Bernard was inside. He was outside. He was playing in the slot. At wide receiver today, you're, even if you are that small, it doesn't mean you can never play on the outside and you can never motion. You have to just be in the slot. You have to be able to do a lot of different things to be that well-rounded wide receiver. So I think the NFL has just watched college and said, look, Tank Dell has one on the outside. Uh, Deontay Johnson at Toledo won on the outside against press coverage, and then he was a mismatch at that point. So I, I think don't get too caught up on, oh, wow, that guy's too small. It, in a way, it's almost like, if Roscoe Parrish was in the NFL 10 years later, he would have been used a lot better than he yeah. was. Yeah, I must wonder, how much of it is the evolution where you know receivers got bigger and then what happened as a result? Corners got bigger, right? And then all of a sudden yeah. it became, well, maybe we can actually get a smaller receiver to beat this corner that's sitting there at you know 6'2 or whatever. So getting open, whatever the open score is, is the number one trait the Bills should be looking for. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's kind of that cat and mouse game that we've seen with defenses that when defense get lighter, then teams can run the ball. And then, so it's a constant chess match between offenses and defenses. The one thing I, and I feel like this is almost like a stock answer that I have to say when I'm on GR. I wonder if the team's uh, imp- drastic improvement in yards after the catch and chief among them, Khalil Shakir and, and how we saw his yards after the catch ability create big plays, easier big plays for the offense, if they do start to prioritize that a little bit more. Because that really has not been a thing in the Sean McDermott-Brandon Bean era outside of Shakir in round five that they've really prioritized when picking a wide receiver or a tight end. It's been the ability to get open, a lot of leadership stuff, production. There's guys like Xavier Leggett, uh, Jalen Polk, even Brendan Rice, Jerry Rice's son, who are good after the catch. And that's something that I'm going to be watching and kind of monitoring as the draft season progresses and then they have the draft in late April. Do the Bills say, hey, look, we kind of like what Khalil Shakir, that part of his skill set, brought to this team. A four-yard pass turns into a 15-yard gain or a 15-yard post turns into an 80-yard touchdown against the Jets. I'm thinking – I mean, I'm going to have a million receivers that I want the Bills to draft. I'm thinking of Malachi Corley. There's a lot. Malachi Corley here is like the yak guy. Yeah, Kentucky. He runs hard. He runs fast. He makes guys miss. He's he he's like uh, I don't know. Highlights I've seen. It's like Pacheco as a running back. He's just angry all the time yeah, when he's running. Very much so. Yeah. And there's yeah, there's a lot of them in this class. I, it's it's kind of become the position like running back where there's just so many receivers who are good that you really can pluck them at any point. I do think the Bills should and will prioritize it early. Um, it's just obviously the difference is running back, you can just kind of plug anyone in and it's fine. Receiver, you need like three good ones in today's NFL. I, I'm betting you, you'll be able to answer this a lot better you know, in the coming months. But as you say that, but my, my, my brain goes in two different directions. One of, well, I guess if there's so many of them, it like, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to just wait till the second round. But at the same time, I feel like... You know there have been drafts in the past. You know the 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 Pickens and Christian Watson draft mm-hmm. where 
all right, well, we can wait to the second round, and then like seven of them went in round two, and right before the Bills pick, it's, uh-oh, they're all gone. Yeah, I, I think what we've seen the Bills do is that the last couple drafts, when there's been a glaring need, and of course this team has not been one that has 15 needs going into the offseason or, or three or four big ones, but like when they needed a corner in 2022, they zeroed in on the cornerbacks early. Tight end seemed like kind of an obvious choice in round one. They trade up for Dalton Kincaid. They needed a defensive end. They went Greg Russo, Carlos Basham back-to-back. So I think, I don't want to say that they kind of uh, make it obvious what they're going to do, but it's, again, and even with all the financial kind of hoop jumping that they need to do this offseason, I still think that will be the most clear-cut need. And it seems like Brandon Bean has been like, look, this is what we need. We're not going to necessarily wait and hope. Um, But if things like what happened last year where four receivers go off the board right in front of the Bills. I don't know if they would have picked a receiver. I think they really liked the tight end class, but that they could say, all right, hey, look, like we could maybe get the number one safety or number one D tackle, whatever the case may be, and there should be, almost assuredly, will be quality wide receivers in the second round. But after you get to round two and round three, I don't think the Bills should wait and hope that you know their favorite late-round guy is there in round four. They need to prioritize this early in the draft. Very good. Chris Trapasso, of course, you can follow him. Uh, scouting gradebook, too. How, how's that thing that worked throughout the, uh, the college season now that we're into the draft season? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, it's, it's very helpful to just organize my whole draft process and scouting and getting grades out there. And usually now, this is my second year of selling it, people start to buy it now because they like to kind of dip their toes into the scouting process. And it's just to have your grades be auto-populated into a big board and sorted for you. It's something that I just made in Google Sheets a couple of years ago. Uh, I think people tend to like it. I'm not selling thousands of them, but I, <laughs> I get a couple of sales throughout the week. 